You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Hey everybody, it's episode 97 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast, and I appreciate you tuning in. This is part two of the coverage of the new Brutality Skirmish Wargame rulebook, and I apologize for those of you who are merely interested in Warhammer, because the majority of this episode is just wrapping up the rest of all the new upgrades and new things for the rulebook. Matter of fact, we don't even dive into all of the new stuff. The new faction traits and the new missions and the whole AI system and the revamped campaign mode and all of that stuff. So we don't even get into all that. We just talk about all the different upgrades for the different classes. And uh, Beastman is on that segment with me, and that's the Real Talk with the Pimpcron. And I promise we will be completely back to Warhammer next week. I just wanted to get this out of my system because the book has actually went on sale this last week, and you can find um, a lot of information on our website, which is brutalityskirmishwargame.com, and you can find all the links to the free PDF, the free version, and the full PDF version, which is, you know, paid, and then the hardback full version, which is obviously paid, so... Anyway, the free rules are there to get you into the door, and um, pretty much all the core rules are there, and several of the upgrades and all that, but you get over double the upgrades for all the classes with the full version, and you also get the unique models, and you get all the AI, and you get the campaign, and you get everything else that's not just bare bones. So also you get like double the lore for all the different factions too, which is pretty cool, but I'm going to stop selling it now. I understand. I understand. So the Tesseract Mailbox is the other segment we have tonight, because me and Beastman just went ham on this brutality coverage. And he plays it, and I play it, and we've been doing local campaigns for the last, I don't know, four months or something. And um, I, we did other campaigns in previous years, but we just kicked one off this winter with all the new rules as we were playtesting. And uh, we, we discussed that for like, I don't know, 40 minutes or something stupid. And <laughs> so, once again, I apologize, Warhammer fans, if you're not interested in listening. But, hey, why don't you just take a listen? Join our club. Join our group on Facebook. We have a private group where you get the free rules and all that. And people are sharing their warbands they're making and things like that. We also have Skirmish Wargames on YouTube has reviewed our rulebook. And they play a sample game. They got the rules pretty much right. There's one or two little things that are... You know, they, they even put this disclaimer in their review that, hey, we might get a rule wrong here or there because we all do that. Gee, I don't even play Warhammer right half the time. So and I've been playing this for a decade. So anyway, uh, that is about it for the two segments, because the real talk is so darn long tonight. But we cover the ranged and the support and then the unique and the unique isn't even in the free rules. So that might be interesting to some of you. Then we also have a Tesseract mailbox from Dave, and Dave sends it via pimpcron at gmail.com, and he talks about the blind boosters, if you'll recall that. They used to sell, and I don't know if they still do or not, but the Space Marine custom sculpts of, like, sergeants and a missile launcher and another dude, and it was, like, 12 of them or 20 of them, something like that, and they were all blind boosters, kind of like Heroclix. And people were going crazy for them. I think it started out in Japan, but then eventually came to the U.S. And that was way back in episode 22. He's listening to his backlog. And he is listening and wanted to chime in about that. So that's what the Tesseract Mailbox is tonight. And what have I been up to? Well, you know what? With the long, long, long hours of work I've been putting in the Brutality Skirmish Wargame hardback rulebook and the PDF version to get it all ready and the free version to get it all ready... I am finally taking just a couple weeks off. You know, when I was doing my Epic War Planner back in the fall and I had to get all that finished and I got it done last November, then that was a ton of work, editing and formatting and all that, just a ton of work. So I got all that done and then I took a couple weeks off just chilling out, maybe doing some hobbying or just not being under the gun with a the pressure of a project, you know? And then I jumped into the whole revamp and this new edition, the first official edition of Brutality, and I completely overhauled it. 
the rules used to be like 33 pages, I think it was. And now the rule book is 102 pages. So you can see how that has greatly changed in the last six months. Actually, probably seven months. And um, all the revisions and all that stuff. So I am kind of just chilling out. I'm starting my new Chaos Army, my Chaos Space Marines Army. And I'm assembling some obliterators and some other stuff. And I'm just kind of taking it easy. Now, of course, having said that, I'm still working 70 hours a week. But at least in my free time, I can just kind of chill out. And I don't have some sort of self-inflicted deadline that I have to do something for. So that's kind of refreshing. But I do feel the itch of writing that novel come on me. So uh, oh, that was a weird phrase. But you get the <laughs> you get the point. Come over me. Oh, I don't know if that's any better, but <laughs> the urge to be creative is going to start building up, and then I'm going to have to release it all over the page. Oh, man, that turned out... Okay, that was intentional. I, I have to admit, I, I did that intentionally. But the uh, I've been thinking... I have not forgotten about the novel. I've learned a lot. I've listened to hundreds of hours of podcasts about writing and YouTube channels and all that stuff, and I... I'm pretty positive that I will be working on the novel soon because I'm starting to get that creative itch. It's like I'm a junkie. So is that about it? Well, you know what? I played a game this week against a new guy that just joined our club, and this was his first week. Now, he's not new to 40K. He's just new to our club because he goes to a local university, and um, he just never, He's it's like his junior year, but he's never brought his Warhammer down. So he brought it down, and he played White Scars, which was pretty cool. I've never played against White Scars before, and I took a bunch of Tyranids. Now, the pre-made list I just already had in my phone was six Carnifexes and a Tyranifex and a bunch of other big Griblies, you know. And I said to him ahead of time, I said, look, I want to make sure that you can handle this list. Not that it's super competitive or anything like that, but six Carnifexes, there's a certain loadout that you kind of want to take care of monsters. If he had a bunch of anti-infantry stuff, it would really be a bad game. And he's like, oh, no, 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 take whatever you want. I'm like, okay, but do you really have anything? Do you have missile launchers? Do you have a repulsor? What, you know, what do you have to take care of this? And he's like, oh, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So we get playing, and I quickly learned that he does not have a single heavy weapon anywhere in his list and I'm like okay well now I feel bad but I asked him directly twice that you know can you handle this or I can gladly make a new list I don't want it to be one-sided and it wasn't terribly one-sided um I think I beat him 20 to 5 <laughs> that comes off terrible but it was actually much closer than that um I did beat him like 20 to 5 but I had very little on the board at the end of the game so it was really more that it, it was not my crazy list. I know everybody goes, oh, it was the list you took. No, not entirely. My Carnifex is, I had one Carnifex at the end of the game. I think I had one. I'm, I may have had two, but I think I only had one alive. And my Tyranifex was dead, and my Hive Tyrant was dead. Um, I made good use of Ripper Swarms. They never died. And my Gene Stealers did jack all. They did hardly anything. But you know what? who the MVP was? That Broodlord. My Broodlord was the MVP of that game because he survived the entire game. And I made excellent use. And I mean, sure, I'm tooting my own horn, but this is the truth. I made excellent use of Terrain. And we were doing where the first floor blocks line of sight. So he had six aggressors and a bunch of the new infiltrating people and the new Dreadnought with the pistol on his hip and all that. And... I really enjoyed it because I was hopping from building to building with the Gene Stealer Birdlord moving eight inches and then also running, and then he can charge after he runs or whatever. And I was running from building to building to building, and he just couldn't see me to shoot at me. And then my Birdlord popped up out of this roof and ate some guys and then consolidated back into the building towards the closest enemy. And then later on, he popped out of the building again and ate some guys. I mean, he's... He's eating, like, five-man squads like it's breakfast, and uh, he never did die. It was it was amazing. But, like I said, I beat him 20-5, to five, but this was not a demo. I have to stress that. He's not a new player. He just, I guess he was being polite because I didn't know what his list was ahead of time. And I told him, hey, I will gladly change my list. I don't want a one-sided game. And 
he really the real issue is is that I sat on the objectives all game because I was a melee army. I took almost no shooting at all, and he just sat back. He was in like turtle mode, and he just sat back and castled. And that he was never getting any ground gained for himself. He allowed me to control the entire board. And another thing is he put a third of his army in reserve, which is a huge, huge no-no. And he thought that would help him. And by the time that he actually, you know, did anything, he was deplo- deploying like four inches from the uh, from his own deployment zone when he deep struck his uh, inceptors and his whatever. Um, so it was it was definitely tactics that won that game because I was nearly off the board when we were done. So, and I told him, look, Carnifexes are scary, but they're not some sort of crazy, you know, the Carnifex for all intents and purposes is basically a dreadnought. And everybody cries about how dreadnoughts are not great. Well, guess what? A Carnifex is basically a dreadnought. So anyway, uh, if you can sense, I have some guilt over that game. That is kind of true. I do have some guilt, but I mean, partially it's like, it's, it's his fault. I asked him directly twice if he could handle it. And he said yes, so 20 points to 5 later. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, I'm going to stop rambling. Uh, I will catch you on the next segment. And thanks for listening to the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. For this week on the Tesseract Mailbox, we have a letter via pimpcron at gmail.com from our buddy Dave. And Dave writes in, Hey Pimpcron, just listened to episode 22. Regarding the 40k boosters, I did what a lot of trading card game people do. I just bought a full box, got two full sets, kept one, and sold the other. I think I broke even. Loving the podcast, slowly getting through the backlog, Dave. P.S. Lizardmen and Seraphin are based on Aztec or Mayan culture rather than Egyptian. So, first off, thanks for writing in, Dave. I greatly appreciate it. Second of all, episode 22, what was that? That seems like a lifetime ago. Well, if you were to look it up, it is Where Did All the Tomb Kings Go? And how we talk about the rise and fall of Tomb Kings in popular gaming and why GW abandoned it. Abandoned one of my favorite armies. Anyway, uh, we also in that episode talk about the uh, booster packs for the Space Marines, you know, with all the different um, characters. They're essentially characters. I mean, some of them just have a bolt gun or whatever, but there was those blind booster packs, and I assume they still sell them. I really have not kept up on that, and uh, I know at one point our local store had some. I'm not really sure if that's still a thing you can order. I uh, did not participate in that, so I don't really know... Uh, if that's still a thing, but I really never saw the models that much. There was a couple models I saw, but I don't think I ever saw all of them. And Dave and I were writing back and forth via email, and uh, he sent me some pictures of the models he's painted. And uh, the models look really cool. He said he uses them for kill teams, and they are, even the regular guys with bolters, bolt guns or whatever, they have a nice uh, poses to them and a nice energy about them, I guess you could say. So, uh, and as far as getting the base material for Lizardmen wrong, I don't know why I would have said Egyptian, because I definitely knew that was, you know, Aztec or Mayan or something like that, the Central South American, Native American cultures. Um, Maybe we just misspoke. I don't know exactly where that came from, but... um, yeah, I would definitely, that was definitely a misspeaking, because obviously they are. They've got the temples, they've got all the different engravings with the lizards and all that stuff. So, um, the, while the Tomb Kings obviously have Egyptian themes, uh, like, overtly, really ham-fisted, their, you know, with the Egyptian themes. So anyway... I appreciate it. Um, you know, I've noticed, apparently, just looking at the stats, a lot of new people join the podcast and start listening to it, and then I see a spike in all of the old episodes, and that kind of pleases me. You know what's funny? Is the very first episode, The Wife's Perspective on Wargaming or, or on Warhammer, that is always in my top 10 listened episodes every single week. It, it is never, it might go up to, you know, number six or down to number 10 or whatever, but 
that first number one episode has always been in the top ten for, I mean, we've nearly been doing this for two years, so it's just kind of interesting how I guess people start, you know, from the, they listen to one episode, whatever the current episode is, and then they go back and start going through the backlog, just like Dave here says, he's working through the backlog, so uh, I try my hardest to make sure all of our topics are pretty darn uh, timeless and that they're still good years later. I've been on the hunt for a while for a Warhammer podcast I could listen to that, of course, was not my own podcast. That seems a little full of yourself. Um, of course, I do have to listen to the podcast, my podcast, because I try to listen to it for things that we could do better or if I could speak better or those type of things. Don't say um so much or don't say so so much or whatever. Always trying to perfect my craft and maybe not say um so, um, anyway, I listen to a bunch of other podcasts, and they all seem to have very hard times coming up with new topics. And, of course, that is, that's the rub, right? I mean, trying to come up with new topics all the time, coming from someone that's written over 300 Bell of Lost Souls articles in the last five or six years. And, luckily, I am pretty good at just coming up with stuff and writing about it. And I, I enjoy it. It comes pretty easy to me after five or six years. But I do know a lot of other people struggle with it. And the low-hanging fruit for articles or for podcasts or anything like that, the low-hanging fruit is whatever's topical. Oh, a uh, new model came out. Okay, cool. We're going to just talk for an hour about this new model. Or, oh, the new edition's coming up. Oh, and they just talk about the new edition. So I've listened to several other podcasts recently, and I'm not trying to sh throw any shade, but it was kind of irritating to me because I'm like, oh, they're all talking about 9th edition. All right. <laughs> and of course, nobody has all the, the rules to 9th edition. Nobody has all the information about 9th edition. So they're basically just blowing out their butt like the entire time. And I guess that's fine. But that does not really interest me that much. So we always try to keep it on topics that will be pretty much timeless. And anyway, I appreciate you writing in, Dave. And it really is a good idea if you're going to do a Kill Teams to have unique and interesting models to use those booster packs or whatever they're called. And hey, if you can get some good ones and sell them off like you say you did and break even, well, that's even better. I know old Beastman, the buddy of mine, he used to do that with Heroclix. You know, you buy what's called a brick of the different boxes or boosters, and then hopefully you get some of the rare chases or whatever, and sometimes you might get two and you can sell it off or whatever. And um, that's I think that's kind of cool. Same thing with Magic, I'm sure. But I'm going to stop rambling now, and I will get on to the next segment. Thanks for writing in, Dave. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. Hey, we're back again. This is the Pimp Cron, and I'm here with Beastman. What's going on, Beastman? Hey, how you doing, Pimp Cron? Good to be here. And I appreciate you being on. We are going to finish up the coverage of the Brutality Skirmish Wargame rulebook, and today we are doing ranged and support and uh, unique classes of models. So the first one we're going to do is basic ranged. Essentially, the whole gist of a ranged model, if it's not upgraded, is that it gets two 20-inch shots, like ranged shots. It could be I mean, arguably, it could be considered like Magic Missile or something like that. But usually, it's some sort of gun or firearm or a bow or something like that. And um, they're not good at close combat. They're le below average in their fighting skill. And other than that, they're pretty average. So now we're going to go into the first upgrade for the ranged. And what would that be, Mr. Beastman? All right, we're looking at the Pistolier. This is a personal favorite of mine. I've had a lot of success using the Pistolier. Uh, he's got two 10-inch ranged weapons. They're one shot each, but you're re-rolling missed hits. Mm -hmm. uh, his fighting skill starts off at a six, which is really good for your ranged guys. Uh, most of them are four. Uh, a couple are, are higher than that, but then you're also looking at the fact that he's armed in melee too. So if you get in within six inches, you get four shots off instead of two if you have that upgrade. And then you could also get in melee and not feel like you're you know you're too close. You're not going to be able to to fight back in melee. So also he gets plus two to his save instead of most of the upgrades just generally get plus one to their save. You're also getting plus two to your save as well. 
And um, what you mean, uh, just to clarify, is that two of your uh, free model traits you can give them is a six-inch ranged weapon that re-rolls to hit. Right. Well, a common thing is what Beastman's referring to. A common thing is if you take a Pistolier to really capitalize on their close-range deadliness, you will take your two free model traits as the two six-inch re-rollable to hit shots. So then you're getting your two 10-inch and your two 6-inch. So at 6 inches, you're getting four re-rollable shots, which is more or less a death sentence. Right. If, I, yeah. I've, uh, I think I've played against you. I've got a model that I've done exactly that, and he's he's been pretty nasty getting some shots off and one kind of <laughs> killing a model in one go. So you've got a Triceratops with a gun, and that's yes. pretty cool. I love that model. <laughs> From outer space. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the next upgrade is Marksman, and... Uh, Essentially, it boils down to your typical sniper rifle, um, your long-range precision accuracy shooter. Uh, Stat-wise, they only have an extra fighting skill, and that's about it. Um, But this one is really good because this one allows you to... You get two shots at 30 inches, like all your ranged weapons mostly. But this model is better than it used to be because previously, you only got to pick. You didn't roll for your wound chart. You just picked one through eight for every wound that you did. So you can you can be like, oh, this melee guy, well, I want to start eating at his fighting skill so that he just sucks, or start doing leg wounds on a fast person, or willpower damage on a uh, support character, or you can really start nitpicking people apart. But now you actually get to roll on the wound chart in the case that you get like a 9 or a 10, something good, and if you don't like your result on the wound chart, you can substitute it for any of the 1 through 8 options. Okay, so now you're getting the ability to ignore that roll if you don't like it. Yeah. And then pick what you want. But see, prior, you could you didn't roll at all. You chose 1 through 8, so you never could get the double damage or anything right. like that. So he's this is even better than it was before. Yes, and at 30 inches, think about that. The board is only 36 inches across, and he's probably deployed roughly you know, six inches from the edge, so you've got free range of the entire board. So that's a, a pretty nasty uh, upgrade. Definitely. So what's next on the list there, Beast Man? All right, now we're looking at the heavy ranged. This guy uh, is aiming for free. Okay? Which is huge. Which is a big deal. Usually aiming would be an action, um, and when you are when you aim, obviously you get benefits to your shooting, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, this guy doesn't have to worry about that at all. He's just, he's not got to spend an action to do it. And then he also has uh, extra an extra hit point. So he's beefier. Um, so you don't have to worry about him uh, getting wiped out as quick if you get him out there. You know, with a 20 inch range, he can't quite just sit back. He's got to get a little further out. And, you know, just in case people decide he's close enough and they're going after him. He's got more staying power than maybe your uh, your marksman or your pistolier. So the heavy ranged, um, I think this is one of the most utilitarian ranged upgrades, and the reason why is that most ranged people they don't move so they can aim. Well, he aims for free, so he can still move. And a lot of times your ranged people kind of sit back and they don't go after the objectives because they sacrifice their movement to aim. Right. So <laughs> so this guy is the best of both worlds. He's the best at shooting he can be because he aims, and he can still be moving up the board to be getting objectives and things like that. Right. Um, and not to mention the extra, people may scoff at an extra hit point, because if you play like D&D, one hit point's nothing. If you play Warhammer, even one hit point's kind of nothing. But when everyone else only has three hit points, and you've got four, mm-hmm. that's 33% more hit points. Right, yeah, the hit points <laughs> definitely have a, have each one has a higher importance than it does in, in games that people might be used to playing. So yeah, yeah. definitely adds to his uh his staying power for sure yeah so he's very versatile um the next upgrade is shredder now this is a new one uh specifically for the rule book and um this was not in any of the free versions before the shredder is very unique but it's one of those subtle ones once again that you kind of have to like really think about or use to to understand it but he gets an extra dexterity an extra willpower and plus two to his save so that stat line's pretty good you know, for uh, like the willpower to be used against confusion or whatever. Right. Um, and usually willpower is that stat that people neglect unless it's a support because you're like, well, I'd rather be better at melee or whatever until you get hit with a confusion. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not the sexiest stat until you're like, wait a second. This yeah. is important. 
So the the shredder it has buffs to all of that, but the main thing the shredder does is he has a regular twenty inch weapon that shoots twice, like all of them. But every time he does an unsaved damage to somebody, he rolls twice on the wound chart instead of just once. And once again, that doesn't sound like a whole lot to the layman, but rolling twice every time you roll a ten on the wound chart, it's an extra damage. And you get double the chances to roll that. Not to mention all the stat debuffs you're doing to the people. Like, yeah, it's pretty awesome, actually. Right. Yeah, I like the idea of being able to get the extra wound chart rolls and maybe, you know, bleeding or a oh, yeah. or a burning. Um, yeah. yeah. You, if you did the burning chart, like if you just chose and said, okay, my shredder is going to be this, like, let's, it's 20 inches, so like an extra long flamethrower, essentially. Right. And did burning, you could load somebody up with tons of burning <laughs> tokens, and it's almost guaranteed they're dead. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> yeah. You're probably not going to survive that. You're Kentucky Fried at that point. <laughs> So, uh, the next one is the ordnance. And the cool thing about the ordnance is that it's essentially an explosion. It's a missile launcher, rocket launcher, something like that. Of course, it could be something bio. It could even be, if you really wanted to do it, like a pyromancer shooting, you know, fire or whatever. But essentially what it is, is I did not want to have to use templates. You know, I didn't want to have to, like, sell templates or make you take templates. And then they scatter and you got all these issues. So the neat way I thought to do it is that um, you get your 20-inch range shots, but your shots are special. Number one, they give all your ranged people that get hit by your shots minus one save, which in most cases is pretty huge because even upgraded models often only have a save of 30%, and you're taking 10% off that. Taking off there, yeah. So, So that, number one, is good. But number two, every time you hit your target of your ranged attack with your ranged weapon, all models, friend or foe, within six inches and line of sight of your target also get hit automatically. So if you hit him once and you miss the other shot, then everyone within six inches gets hit once. If you hit him twice, then everyone gets hit twice. Right. Um, so you're basically getting this nice blast radius. Yes. Um, yeah, that's that's nasty. <laughs> and it's good for crowd control, too, because all of a sudden, if you got one dude that's bleeding and you want to send your your buddy up there to staunch his bleeding so he doesn't die, all of a sudden you're like, well, crap, if I get within six inches of him and the ordinance hits us... Then I'm going to take damage, too. Yeah, so... Um, and this is another one of those cases of just like the saboteur with the with the bombs that he can plant. Right. Um, this is another case where this is perfectly, like, ignorable. Like, if you keep your people more than six inches from each other, then they can't be hit. Like, you know, it doesn't, you can mitigate it, but it's really, really a good way to catch your opponent in bad strategy. Right. Catch them off guard or just dumb luck. Yeah. yeah. Or if they're pressing the matter and they really need to grab some objectives to get some victory points and it's kind of a calculated risk where, well, I can't, I can't do both. If I want to get objectives and I want to keep the models uh, six inches apart, it's not possible. Yeah. So then you got those tough choices you got to make. Yeah, this is this is one of my favorite ones. Um, I I really like the explosion one. So, but after that is the sentry. So, what's the sentry all about, Beast Man? So the sentry, just like the rest of our ranged upgrades, he's got uh two twenty inch weapons. But uh, each time that a model moves, runs, charges, falls, teleports, is thrown, um, within four inches and line of sight of that sentry model. Uh, you can immediately shoot them <laughs> as if it's a combat phase, like for free. Yeah. So he's just kind of lying in wait, and as soon as you're close enough and in his his field of vision, he's ready to take you down and pop a shot. Yeah. So, um, oh, and also he's got, like we were talking about earlier, he's got that fighting skill of six, like the Pistolier does. So that, again, helps him in melee. Yeah. So he can be one of your, you know, your range people a lot of times sit back, but the Pistolier wants to be in people's faces up close. And right. this, this sentry doesn't give a shit either. He's just like, yeah, I'm he, happy to be up front. Right. He's, he's, uh, he wants you to get within four inches. And then if you charge him, you know what? I got that good fight skill. Yep. And you can move him up. You don't even have to shoot with him in his own phase. Cause he can, if anybody gets near him in their own phase, he can shoot them. So you could have him go up there and get objectives and stuff and just camp on the objective. Yeah, there's really no reason to do anything but that, it seems like. I pretty much yeah. would you put him on an objective and say, oh, come and take it. I'll, I'll take my free shots. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take my uh, my awesome fighting skill, and uh, I'll, I like my chances. Yeah, and the other thing to do, too, is he makes a really good bodyguard. So if, if you put him right next to an ally that you're afraid is going to get charged, 
And then the enemy's got to end within four inches to of him to be charging the ally. Right. So he just gets to shoot for free. He's a regular Kevin Costner, you might say. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> I need a uh, Whitney Houston model. That's yes, perfect. All right, so we stay on topic here. Um, we've got uh, the Hunter is the very last upgrade for ranged. Now, as far as stats go, they're pretty basic, except they do have plus two to their movements. So they're a little faster than your normal uh, model. They're actually up to the basic fast level of movement with the eight inches but the big deal here is that when they aim they've got the two shots at 20 inches and whatnot like normal but when they aim the uh hunter can see through walls essentially and um you get two options whenever you aim you get the plus two to hit like you normally do and you don't see through walls or instead of getting plus two to hit you can shoot people you can't see which is huge wow that's nowhere to hide yeah. Nope, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Right? Yeah, legitimately. <laughs> right. Um, now, he treats their dexterity as, as six. So the the good news is, is if their dexterity is actually higher than six, you're only treating their dex as six. Right. So, so it's not like it's, that's not a, um, that's a min max. That's not a, yeah. yeah. So it could be a benefit or it could be a hindrance. Yeah. And his uh, ranged attacks always ignore cover. So if you're getting a plus one for partial or plus two for mostly covered, He's just ignoring that. Doesn't care. So this guy is your quintessential sniper assassin or uh, like Tyranids have those directional ammunition, you know. Right. Um, they can just shoot, you know, around walls and stuff. Um, so I just I really like that idea. And also, you know, if, if you if your person doesn't have a rifle and let's say um, has is an ice mancer or something and shoots shards of ice mm-hmm. well if he can control ice he can go hey i know there's a guy on the other side of that wall yeah i'm gonna launch the ice and then control it and make it go straight down or whatever right or you, you know, you know if, if it's a like a tribal type of character or tribal war band it could be like a like a boomerang type of type oh, of weapon you know yeah like actually. throws and goes around kind of bows around and comes back to you <laughs> yeah that'd be pretty <laughs> cool so um, I, I just really like that. He's the ultimate, like, you can't hide anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I like that version. Now, up next is the support class. And the support, the basic support, has the worst dexterity. They're the easiest to be shot with ranged weapons. Um, they're average in movement and fighting, skill and hit points and all of that. Um, they only get one attack and they're unarmed in melee, but they get an extra willpower. So they start out at willpower six. The reason why they have an extra willpower is they come with two free powers, which, of course, you choose in the beginning of the game. And those two powers, they're not necessarily psychic or magic. They can be technology or whatever. But either way, they either have to be intelligent enough and have the mental fortitude or the will in order to use the technology, or they have to have the willpower to harness their arcane power or whatever whatever your model does. Right. And um, so this is a stat check from your willpower, which, of course, it starts off at a 60% chance to get these powers off, which is, you know, okay, but not super reliable. Luckily, you can bump that up to max it out at 8 if you upgrade no other stats. So now suddenly you've got an 80% chance. Now you're almost, you're creeping up on auto. Yeah. Auto. uh... So that's, um, that is their basic thing. Now the support is the weakest and the least effective in melee out of all the options, but they are so synergistic, mm-hmm. and they can flat out break the rules with their technology or powers. Right. These are the, these are the brains of your operation. Yeah, and oftentimes uh, they are the leaders or whatever. Um, also, you got to keep in mind that powers don't necessarily even have to be technology or magic. Powers could be um, summoning uh, spirits, or um, they could be like. Um, or in our last store campaign, not the one that we're currently doing, but the last one when I had my vampire pirates, the leader, the Captain Tregula, he was a support character, but he didn't know magic. What I had him do is he barked orders at people. Okay. So, like, if he did teleport, he's like, you get your ass over there, and all of a sudden they move the eight inches. Right, he was you know? a motivator, yeah. Yeah, so he took his willpower and forced his will on others. Okay. Or if he gave them, if he cast protect on them or whatever, used the protect power, he's like, you take cover. Get down, yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, it doesn't even have to be a physical power or technology. It can just literally be influence. So right. Uh, let's, let's dig into these upgrades, though. 
So the first upgrade here is the Specialist. It's pretty cut and dry, but it is super effective. So have you ever played with a basic range, uh, basic support, and you're like, man, he's got two powers and I can cast both of them every time I activate them. That's really cool, but I really wish I could cast, like, double the powers. Right. <laughs> I want more. <laughs> well, the support, um, the Specialist gets four powers just right off the bat. Now, of course, you could you can give any of these models um, an extra six-inch power, or two extra six-inch powers. So arguably, he could know six out of the ten powers. Like, that's nuts. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So um, he he is really your Swiss Army knife, as mm-hmm. far as that goes. Now, what's the next one? Uh, then we have a mobile support, which is a lot what it sounds like. So this guy, he can move ten inches mm-hmm. instead of the, the more normal six for our support upgrades. Uh, he knows two powers, just like your basic support does. And then uh, he's got a good dex. His dex is six instead of the um, the four that most of the support upgrade guys have. Yeah. And then he has flight and agile, so he's ignoring terrain when he's moving around. He can he could you could drop him on top of a building or move through a piece of terrain and land on the other side and be right there ready to to use one of his two powers. Um, so basically, you're getting like that basic support just with more mobility and a better dexterity. Essentially, yeah. Um, the dexterity, of course, is the weakness for support because they're so easily shot. Right. And he's starting with above average dex right out of the gate. So that right there gives you a lot more durability. Um, another thing is with that 10-inch movement, melee, I mean, if not ranged, then melee is definitely who scares you as a support model. Totally, yeah. And your 10-inch movement and flight, you can jump over walls and stuff. Like, right. You don't give a shit. You so. could you could get close to a, a, a melee model that can't fly, get up high on top of a piece of uh, of uh, terrain, and then yeah. maybe be still be in range for powers, but not open yourself up to that melee attack. Oh, that's true too. Because when you've got flight, you ignore the elevation. So he could stand up. He or she could stand up on a really high piece of terrain, which would be hard to charge or anything like that. Right. And then just be casting powers down. It's. I like it. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It yeah. really is. Um, so the next one is an icon. Let's get into the icon now. So the main deal with the icon is that it gets an extra hit point, which once again is huge with you when you get a fourth hit point. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big deal is he knows two powers is normal for the support. But within 12 inches, including himself, all allies um, get a benefit that you char- uh, choose at the beginning of each turn. So at the beginning of each turn before anybody activates, you say, my icon is either going to allow everyone, including himself, within 12 inches to either re-roll hit rolls, uh, missed hit rolls, or get plus two to wound chart rolls, or re-roll save rolls, or re-roll willpower rolls, or give everyone plus three inches to charge and run, which is, once again, huge. So, there's a unique model that we're not getting into just yet called a Locust, but this is essentially a smaller, cheaper version. Actually, it's a more expensive version of a Locust, but, okay, there's too many differences to really make too much of a comparison. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's really it is, like that, but... But it's not, but it is. <laughs> anyway, um, but once again, this is a great leadership model where if you're using powers as commands or orders, mm-hmm. then also give them this bubble and, and just buff your whole team around and make him inspiring or, or whatever, right. you know? I mean, yeah, plus two. Rerolling to hit, plus two to wound chart rolls, rerolling saves, all these rerolls, all these pluses. I mean, this guy, he can really do a lot of things. Yeah, he's very manipulative of the game rules, like, uh, you know, tweaking things in your favor. So right. This is really, uh, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious his benefits. It's not quite as subtle as others, but I think this is a real strategist's model mm-hmm. because you can really choose what you think you're going to need this upcoming turn or what you think the opponent's going to do this upcoming turn you know right and try to um negate it yeah so um after the icon what do we have the fanatic you have the fanatic uh of course he knows two powers but uh when using powers all willpower successes and failures are treated as critical successes and critical failures yeah so so this guy's as- like a he's like a raving lunatic huh he is a raven lunatic, and he's, like, super awesome when he's not hurting himself. Right. He's, like, <laughs> flagellating himself or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, when you fail willpower rolls, or when you critically fail willpower rolls, um, which is only rolling a 10, a natural 10, when you're doing willpower checks, um, you take a damage with no saves. Well, now, any failure, not just a roll of a 10, but any failure deals yourself a damage with no saves. But... Normally, when you do a willpower check for powers, a natural one 
um, lets the power go off twice, and you can either choose the same target or a separate target for the second time it goes off, well, now every one of his... So he starts out with a base 6 willpower at 60%. Well, he's got a 60% chance of every one of his powers going off twice, which is mm. pretty awesome. So you could really multiply stuff out pretty quickly and not in a very uh, difficult manner. No, and if you wanted to boost up his willpower, make it 80%, now you've got a real... I mean, he only knows two powers, but damn, they go off twice every time. Right. Healing twice, two protects, two time slips, two teleports. You got to move two people on your team. Just teleport both of them. Like, right. It's uh, very, very good and effective, I think. So the next one is the adaptive, and why don't you tell us about that, Mr. Beastman? All right, the adaptive is pretty straightforward, but uh, doesn't mean he's not nasty. This guy can choose powers each time it is activated. So he doesn't have to choose two at the beginning and then stick with them. Each turn or each time he's activated, he can pick two. They could be the same. They could be different, whatever variety. And, uh, you know, based off the situation, he can uh, he can choose what he wants to do that turn. That would be the most effective. He is aptly named because adaptive, he is very, very adaptive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, to whatever the situation is. Now, um, he also gets a stat bonus that's pretty key to him, too. That's right. So he has a willpower of seven. So he's almost maxed out right from the get-go. Yeah, because your max is eight. So, I mean, this right here is saving you a, a free model trait is what it's doing. Because right. otherwise, you might bump it up to seven or eight. Spend it on that, so. but no need. Yep. So this guy, one, like you said... Um, very straightforward, but um, very, very versatile. Um, the next one would be the Augmenter. Now, the Augmenter is pretty neat because do you remember how I said in the ranged, the heavy ranged is more versatile because usually they're not mobile. They sacrifice their movement to aim, but he can aim for free. Right. So he can move around, you know, just like everyone else. Well, the Augmenter is basically the same thing, but for support in a way support usually always uses its activation in the combat phase to do powers mm -hmm. but the cool thing is is that not only does this guy start out with an extra two inch movement which is nice and he knows two powers like always but whenever he uses the powers curse barrier protect time slip or aura the power remains in effect until he chooses to cast that power again or until he dies so the cool thing is, is very first thing in the, in the, uh, you know, the very beginning of the game or the be whatever you cast, say, protect on one guy and you cast, um, a barrier or you want to put up a barrier or whatever you want something to stick. Right. He, uh, normally at the, every time you activate the person that put up the barrier or put up the protect or whatever, the token goes away and they have to recast it. Do it again, yeah. yeah. Well, this guy, if he wants to block off, let's let's say he just wants to F you over. You, your one dude is over here on the flank and he's down a hallway. He's only got one exit. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to put a barrier up here and F you and walk away. Like, <laughs> just leave it. <laughs> yeah, normally he'd have to sustain that barrier. But nope. He can, uh, he, so he's not sacrificing every single action or combat phase to, to cast the, powers. To do the same thing over and yeah. over either. Yeah. So, wow. um, and, and then if he chooses to cast them again, then the token goes away and it can be brought somewhere else. Okay. Um, so that is, um, very cool for buffing people up or stuff like that. Right. Um, also what's nasty too, is that curse is permanent until he changes it. So if he curses one of your opponents, you know, like minus four to his charge or something like that, like, dude, that, that stays. That stays. <laughs> and if you happened, if you just happened to roll a critical, then it gets it twice, twice. and it's permanent. Jeez. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. That is a big F you. Yes. So <laughs> this one, these the Augmenter is kind of like the heavy ranged in the way that he's good at his job, but it doesn't interfere from him doing other things. Okay. So. Yeah. And finally, we have the controller, which I know you have some experience with the controller, um, and it's it's one of my favorite new models. So, yeah, the controller, uh, he's got the same base stat line, uh, knows two powers like our other support upgrades mostly, but uh, this guy, as a free action each turn, can uh, choose a target in sight within 12 inches, and then he can basically mind control that target, uh, whether you want to move it, um, teleport it, have it shoot somebody, yeah. whatever you choose. Um, now, you do have to roll higher than the target's willpower. But that's pretty much it. I mean, just rolling over the willpower, and then you pick a power and uh, go with it. Now, something else that's interesting about this model is that it says choose a target in sight. It doesn't have to be an enemy. 
So if you've got an ally that you want to shoot for a second time this turn, okay. then mind control that ally wow. and calls him to shoot again. Yeah, I never <laughs> like, even thought about it that way. Nice. Yeah, so it's there's a lot of a lot of these there's like a, a normal context and then there's like a subtle context of oh, you know what? Um I forget what oh, when we were playtesting the locust, um you thought about doing the spawning Right. And I was like, oh my God, I never thought of that before. Yeah. <laughs> so there's there's a lot of cool things about it. Um, so that's essentially it um, for the support. Now let's get real briefly into the unique models. So there's two classes for unique model. You can only have one unique model per army list, period. So you either have to have, um, if you choose to have any unique at all, that's not a requirement. But um, you can either choose a monster or you can choose a locus. Okay. You can't choose both or two of the same or whatever. Um, so the monster is pretty darn straightforward. He costs three points as opposed to, let's say, a point and a half for an upgraded model. Right. He costs three points. So he's expensive. Yes. And you'll notice that he doesn't actually have a stat line. He has a bunch of pluses. Okay. So basically what it is is you start by choosing an upgrade in any of the four classes, and they already have a stat line. Well, then he adds these plus one, plus two, whatever, to that stat line. So he is, you know, let's say we talked about an icon that already has four hit points, right? With the the buff within 12 inches of mm-hmm. allies. If you wanted to have your icon or make this monster an icon, then instead of four hit points, he's getting six hit points. Damn. I mean, that's nasty. <laughs> that's no joke. Yeah. Not to mention he gets plus two to his wound chart rolls, so he's nice in close combat. He gives you an extra attack, which doesn't sound like much, but is huge. So oh, if, yeah. if you're taking a melee person, if you're if you're basing this monster off of a melee upgrade, there are base two attacks. Now there are base three attacks. They get plus one for charging. And if it's the um uh the berserker, remember he gets plus one attack for every enemy with <laughs> six you, Also, you've got what five attacks? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Jeez. So potentially the way you kit it out, of course he still gets the um, uh, the two free model traits and the free model ability like everybody else. Right. But he's just a beefier version of it. So you're paying those three points for him, but like you said, if you're smart about the way you kit him out, you can really maximize those three points. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And of course he can be fa- he can be based off of fast or melee or ranged or support. I mean, it really, you could make a monster a dreadnought. For Space Marines, if you wanted to. Right. Um, make him a heavy ranged <clears throat> and a monster. That would basically be a, a, a gun dreadlock, dreadnought with last cannon or whatever. Um, or you could make the monster, you know, like a small diorama of something. You know, a, a couple witches or whatever. Right. It doesn't have to be that what you might think of that stereotypical monster as like a behemoth style model. No. And a lot of people actually will make one really good character, like the leader of their whole war band. And they'll choose that to be the monster because his stats are so amazing. That, yeah. I'd say. Yeah. Now, if I were to ever make like a, um, uh, maybe Superman or Goku would have to be the behemoth from that one mission, you know, with oh, the, yeah, the 14 yeah. hit points or whatever. Right. But maybe that's <laughs> too high. But if I were to do like a serious superhero, it would probably be a monster, was is what I would base it off. Yeah, of. definitely. Um, maybe like a Hulk. Probably a Hulk, although he's pretty up there on the power scale too. But you get the point. Like whatever you want it to be. Yep. Um, now the Locus is also something that's very unique and very interesting. So for uh, people that have played the free rules before, um, the Locus is completely new. The monster used to be included in it. The Locust is completely new. It's essentially, in theory, it's kind of like the Herdstone for Beastmen. Right. Or the um, the Moon Statue for the Goblins. Oh, the Loon Shrine. Loon for the, Shrine. For the, um, uh, yeah, I forget what they're called right now. I, I can't think of either. But anyway, Moon Clan or whatever. Right. Um, or it can, it's essentially, it's called a locus because it's a locus of power. So Mm -hmm. it could be a powerful statue they pray to. It could be a coven of witches or whatever, but essentially this is unlike any other model in the game. It's got eight hit points, which is huge. It's got a crappy dexterity, a crappy fighting skill. It only gets one attack. It's willpower is a six, which is typical for support units. Uh, it's got a save of four, which is not too bad. And it knows two powers, but it's stationary. Mm-hmm. So it cannot move or run or charge or be mind controlled. Um, it can't be teleported. It literally can move for no reason. And actually, under its move stat, it just says stationary. It doesn't even have inches, so it cannot move. Right. Um, it also can't be healed, 
Now that might sound weird because you're like, well, anything could be healed. Why can't this? Well, the reason is because it has a special power that I will get into in just a second. The other thing is that the two powers that it knows, it increases the power range of those. So most of the powers are 12 inches. This thing has 18 inch range powers. Of course, it needs that because it can't move. So right. it'd be very easy to avoid it if it didn't have better. Yeah, and that's that extra six inches might not sound like much, but you know, speaking from experience, when we play tested this, it, it really um, it made a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does. And um, so this brings us to the main thing the locust does. Once per game turn, at any time, literally any time, even during your opponent's activations, you can remove a hit point from this model which of course can't be healed again later because it can't be healed at all. You remove a hit point from this model and apply one of the following benefits to your warband. This does not count as its activation. It can be done at any time during anybody's activation. You can, um, for taking a hit point off, you can either make a faction trait feat available for a second time, which is essentially a free stratagem Mm -hmm. that you pick from your faction, um, uh, faction abilities normally they're only once per game in this case you can do it for a second time not a third or fourth but a second which is huge because those abilities are really good that's why they're once per game right another thing is that you can activate a second model of yours immediately activating one of your models so if you just activated one of your models you can then immediately activate another model which is also huge in an i go you go sort of skirmish game right if you can out activate your opponent that definitely gives you an advantage for sure or if you know like oh i gotta hurry up and get to this objective before he does to so i can pray or loot at it right well that's pretty key like, absolutely it's the um, name of the game or if you think someone's gonna die like you're like oh man this dude's down to one hit point he's gonna be dead if i let the other dude activate next so i take a hit point off this locust and I can activate the wounded guy. Maybe he can score a point or maybe get out of line of sight or right. anything. Yeah. So um, also what's cool is that you could uh, have like your ranged guy shoot and then activate your locus to allow your controller to control the ranged guy and shoot again. <laughs> nice. Especially if you pick the right ranged guy. If you pick that, uh, like what's the sniper? The, um... uh, the, sp- uh, the uh marksman the marksman or something like that getting that long shot across the board again or something it's like could really have some cool uh some some cool uses there or the ordinance for explosions (laughs) yeah so you (laughs) think about this you get them in the perfect spot and you're like oh my gosh my opponent did not take care in placing their models i can get two or three people with one shot for my ordinance so you fire you hit them and maybe you kill some maybe you don't right then you Pull a wound off your locust, activate your controller, and activate your ordinance. Do it all again. over again. Oh, man. <laughs> now, of course, there's some rolling involved. So any at any point of that, you could fail a roll or whatever. Of course. But, but that could be pretty sweet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, so that is essentially... Um, oh, we got one more thing. I, I got talking, and I got off kilter. Um, the last thing is, and this is probably the most commonly used one, I know I use this the most, is you can change the result uh, when you pull off a hit point from a locust. Your third option is you can change the result of one of your hit, save, or stat check rolls for, to the number of your choosing. Right. So you could, of course, you're going to choose criticals. So you change a like a, a missed hit to a critical hit. Mm-hmm. I mean, technically, you could change it to just a regular hit, but why would you? I have <laughs> no idea. <laughs> that would be dumb. Yeah. <laughs> or you really need this dude to survive, and you change one of your failed save rolls to a critical save, which saves two wounds. Right. Something like that. Um, also, stat check rolls. So this is where, um, remember when we said the um, the augmenter, their powers last, and if you got a critical and it went off twice... That double protect or double whatever stays. Right. So what you do is you cast the augmenter's power and you want it to go off twice and stick. Well, okay, now I pull off a hit point from my locust, change that to a critical, and now it's got double curse or double protect or double right that sticks for the whole game. Jeez, <laughs> like it's, that could really do some damage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's there's a lot of if you're clever about stuff, I, I'm sure I'm sure there's bound to be some combinations that I I've never even ran into playing you or Derek or Matt right. or. That's kind of the fun part of, of discovering the game and getting to know the game and playing it is as as you play, you those kinds of things come up and you never you've never seen them happen. Yeah. It's like wow, look, I never thought to 
to to uh, to pair these two things together. It's all the different options and things across the board really make for a unique uh, experience a lot of times rather yeah. than than stale gameplay. And the Locust, I mean, I think probably out of all of them, the Locust to me is the most exciting model class because you um, there's there's uh, maximum base sizes for all of these models in the book. It tells you like you know infantry should be twenty five to thirty two millimeter or whatever. Right. And the Locust is basically a flight stand, like one of the big oval flight stands for a GW model. And um, the the only Locust I've made so far, but it still just tickles me so bad, is um, my Borg Warband, my collective of Borg. Oh, yeah. I love that thing. Did you see my queen? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I made this makeshift queen, like... Um, I cut her arms and one of her, I cut her both of her legs off and one of her arms. And she's like hovering with all these wires coming out of her. And she's like the makeshift, like one Borg got pulled into the brutal realm. And now they're slowly starting to make their own collective. So they've got this <laughs> Borg queen and it's like all these salvage technology parts around her right. and she's hooked up to all of them. And the base size is so big that it really gives you a chance to have all sorts of, like, narrative sort of ideas. Yeah, totally. So, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I love that model when you posted that on the Brutality Facebook page. I, I was I was really impressed and it was such a cool idea. And like you said, it does create, a, it gives you a lot of creative ideas. I know I thought of, um, like, from the comic books from Marvel, the Gardens of the Galaxy, the Kree Supreme Intelligence. Uh-huh. And I'm uh, like, well, that is perfect and just so happens... I had that hero click and I was like, man, I'm going to use this. So that's what, that's what I've done. And I'm like, it's, it's, it's so thematic. It's so cool. I, uh, it's yeah, there's, I, I like anything that I can be creative with mm-hmm. and that definitely lends itself to all kinds of cool ideas to, to play with. Now that's a really cool model too. For those who don't know, it's like a giant head in a vat, right? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like a, it reminds me of like the back to tank from uh, star wars except for the liquid inside is like oh. is like green yeah 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 and uh the guy inside kind of looks like a brain but with the uh with the green tint he kind of looks like a like a booger too but like <laughs> <laughs> but he's got you know face and uh but anyway yeah it's, it's such a cool model and uh fits the theme of of a locust perfectly yeah and um i've got a starfleet um warband and i just had my friend 3d resin print me uh tj yeah um, had it had it printed and um i got the perfect dimension so what i did is i went online and i really wanted a shuttlecraft from star trek uh, a shuttlecraft goddard which is the star trek next generation era shuttlecraft and they don't make models in 28 millimeter scale right so i was like you know what i should do is i'm gonna make this my locus like this is their base of operations mm-hmm. they some sort of science experiment went wrong or whatever and instead of being pulled in the brutal they accidentally like tore a hole into the brutal and now they're stranded. Okay. So they came with the shuttlecraft. So the <laughs> shuttlecraft, think about it as far as like, it's got a transporter on there. I could mm-hmm. give it teleport. Yeah. It's got, um, you know, force field generators or it's got phasers. I could give it missile, the power missile. Right. So it's being, it's shooting people with phasers <laughs> or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's got an emergency medical hologram. So I could give it a heal. Mm-hmm. And have it like beam out heal um, a hologram to heal people and stuff. Yeah. So I'm super excited about that. That's gonna be my locust for them. Yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to see what other people do there with with this whole locust model. I feel like there's there's gonna be some cool uh, some cool projects come out of this. Yeah, even more than the normal models. Like a normal model is cool, and you can do some stuff with the base and whatever. But this is like almost the option for a diorama. I was just gonna, literally just gonna say that it, it lends itself to a diorama style model, which is always fun. Yeah. And um, uh, our friend Matt, he made one that um, it's a coven of witches. It's three witches around a cauldron. Oh, cool. And that's his locus. So they're going to be doing spells and stuff. Right. Yeah. I can't wait to see that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And you actually surprised me when the very first game we ever play tested with the locus, you did something that really surprised me. And you used the summon power Mm -hmm. with the locus. So, yeah. and when, um, so the locust power, every time you cast it, you remove a hit point from yourself that can't be healed. And then you produce a one hit point little minion. Right. And what, what did you do? You were pumping out like little mutants. Right? Yeah, I was pumping out little mutant uh, models. Yeah. And sending them out. And I was like, oh, if they die, they die. Not to be Ivan Drago, but yeah. <laughs> it's like, and then they could grab objectives too. I mean, yep. I was, I, Definitely use that to kind of control the control the board to an extent. Yeah, yeah, and and with with the uh, locust having eight hit points, you really 
you can do it pretty. I I did it. Oh, he was down to like two hit points, but he he survived out. But yeah. It, it uh man, I, I had a lot of fun with with the locust for sure. Oh, he was just pumping out little mutants, and it was it was pretty <laughs> cool. Also, if you really had to, whenever you um do the the uh, summon the it's called summon. Whenever you summon these things, if you critically summon one, if you roll a one on your willpower chart. Uh, or willpower roll, right. they get two hit points instead of one. Oh, wow. So if you really wanted to, you could summon one, that drops you a hit point, then knock another hit point off the locust and change that roll to a one, which makes your the things you summon two hit points instead of one. Right. Which makes them even better. So, yeah, essentially getting two for the price of one. Yeah. So there's there's just a ton of different combinations and things, interactions and things. And I have played literally hundreds of games of this game. Like I have play tested the shit out of this. Game. Right. <laughs> uh, so um, anyway, well, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for being a play tester. Thank you for always, um, you know, helping out and be willing to play a game. And I'm like, Hey, I want to try this or whatever. And sometimes it was broken. Sometimes it wasn't right. No, it was, it was fun to kind of experiment and see how things work and, and uh, have fun with it. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed all the whole process. It was, I'm glad to be a part of it. Yeah, you, you've been a huge help. Um, so all through the winter and all that, you've been really big into it. So I, I greatly appreciate it. And, uh, you know, in our campaign, you and I both have models that are nearly godly. Yeah, they are ridiculous. <laughs> so. uh, good luck getting anybody to play us now. I'm going to have to have to build a new warband because yeah. Yeah, they're so it's, powerful. Well, uh, you know, they do get more expensive as it goes. That's so they, true. So our people are, I think, two and a half points each now. Yes. And they'll be three. By the time you get godly, you're three points the same as a monster. Right. But you're so much better than a monster. So it's 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 pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but he can take three regular guys for the price of your one dude. So. Right. So you might get out actioned. It's exactly. Yeah. So just another another aspect and part of strategy of the game. Yep. Well, thank you so much for being on Beast Man. I do appreciate it. And uh, that's it. Oh, by the way, the Brutality Book is on sale now. Uh, as of between last recording and this recording, the Brutality Book actually is on sale. And we do have a, a simple little website. It's BrutalitySkirmishWarGame.com. And that is it. I will let you all go. Thank you for all the Patreon sponsors that support the show. And I will see you next week.